The following Truth Barista podcast is a High Beam Ministry production. Hi, this is Pastor Jay Christensen. I am the Truth Barista, and I just want to have a little word to our listeners today. As you know, this is a podcast, and it's set in the imaginary coffee shop called the Erzatz Coffee Shop, which is a word that means fake. And we just try to set up this scenario for the fun of creating theater in the mind. But it is a podcast that we hope goes across the world and speaks to many, many people. And you know, if you are excited about this podcast, we would really like to hear from you. So send us an email with your questions suggestions and comments to the truth barista at gmail.com and you can rewind this and get that again the truth barista at gmail.com you can go to truthbarista.com or you can go to high beam ministry all one word highbeamministry.com to get recent updates episodes writings resources all sorts of stuff now We'd like you to join Amazing Larry, who is my imaginary kitchen help, and myself, (laughs) and we're going to continue our study in eschatology, end times things, markers, and signs. You ready to go? And here we are. I've been hearing a lot of conversations about the new normal about how life is never gonna go back to the way it was before. We're getting used to what our new reality is going to be in our lives. And I just wanna offer you a helpful reminder that normal was always going to be different tomorrow than it is today. Our world is constantly changing. Our lives are constantly changing, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. And the normal tomorrow was always going to be different than the normal today. The Eastern world, it is exploding. Violence flaring, bullets loading. You're old enough to kill, but not for voting. You don't believe in war, but what's that gun you're toting? And even the Jordan River has bodies floating, but you tell me. Welcome to the Airzats Coffee Shop. This is Jay, your truth barista, and I'm serving up a steamy cup of God's truth for the average Joe. You can catch me and this podcast on my websites, truthbarista.com, all one word, truthbarista.com, and highbeamministry.com. That's H-I-G-H-B-E-A-M ministry.com, as in car high beam. We're shining the light of God's truth on the road ahead. Last week, Truth Barista, I was so excited I almost couldn't sleep. Wasn't that great? Oh, it was so good and I couldn't wait. I thought, why do we only have to have the Bible study once a week? Couldn't we do it a couple of times? Well, you know, things are so quiet around here for now. I mean, why do we could, but I know. You know there's so much stuff to do. Okay. Well, we're in Daniel. We were talking last week about markers and signs, and just give us a short little synopsis of what that is for those that that are just tuning in fresh today. Okay, we're talking about eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the last things. You know, ology, study, eschaton, last things. So it's basically this whole end-time prophecy study. Now, that really gets people psyched because they really want to know what's coming. Well, 
guess what? God did tell us what's coming. And he gave us two things. He gave us signs and markers. Markers are definite points in his timeline that once we hit that, we know we've moved into a new time period or a, as you said, a sea change in how life is lived, how the world is functioning. Signs are those things that happen between, and this is my construct, by the way, things that happen between those markers. It's the signs of the times, the markers mark the time. There you go. Okay. The problem is with eschatology, and we talked last week, is people get into either eschatomania, which is they get really fixated on it, and that's all they talk about, and they study it, and they go bonkers over it. And the problem is now they kind of check out from the present. They become, as they say, so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. Okay. Well, then you have eschatophobia on the other thing, which is an aversion to even talking or studying the end times because they're so confusing. Why is it so confusing? Is because, number one, you have to learn how to read and study prophecy. It's its own specific style in the Bible. And number two, you have to understand the context in which it was written because that influences it. And number three, quite frankly, it says these things are sealed up until they actually apply. So there are some things that are prophesied, such as Jesus's birth, but it wasn't until Jesus was born that people went, aha, now I see how that prophecy applies. So it's kind of like you don't know you're in Colorado until you pass the sign, the marker that says, welcome to Colorado. Until that time, all you have are the mountains in the distance. Those are the signs. So I would like us to take a look at the markers and the signs showing where we're at, where we're headed. Okay, what we have to understand, and this is why Daniel is so important, and I need to reset this for us, okay? Humanity was created to live under one king, God, and this king who owns humanity and the world looked at humanity and said, you run the world, but you have to do it my way, and that was called Eden. Eden was a place on an untamed planet called Earth. As humanity ruled and reigned and multiplied, they would expand Eden's boundaries by bringing an untamed world under control. They would subdue and they would rule it. Over time, the goal is to create Eden, God's rule, over the entire earth. Earth would become Edenized. It's literally heaven on earth because God walked with Adam and Eve in Eden. God's plan is to be with humanity on earth, on a tamed earth, under his rule, with humanity as his vice regents or stewards. You got that? I do, yeah. There's only one problem. It It didn't take long for Adam and Eve to say, nope, I think we want to do it our way. And so there was this little rebellion against the king, and the king looked at them and went, out of my kingdom get out. And they were kicked out of Eden. So now you have humanity who are still under this mandate, this command to rule the world, but now they're trying to do it apart from God in an untamed world. So they're kind of just freestyling as they go. And so what happened over time as humanity began to multiply, humanity started creating little domains and dominions and little kingdoms and states. And you had cities like Babylon, you had empires, Babylon, Sumeria, Mesopotamia, these, and they started growing because mankind has this urge to rule. The problem is we threw off one king, God, but we came to allegiance with another king, Satan. So now Satan does rule the world, but he does it through humanity. Well, God says, I'm not content with that. I am going to bring my person into play, Jesus the Messiah, 
He's going to break Satan's rulership over humanity. And then in the process, when he comes back, I'm going to wipe Satan's rule off this earth and I'm going to restore the earth once again under my reign as it was in Eden. So it's kind of like a grand opera where we started with God and we end with God. So the whole thing about eschatology is the reinstatement or the reforming or the restructuring of God's rule over the earth through mankind. I honestly love it. And I have to ask this question because you gave such a nice dissertation on the understanding of how this all works. (laughs) However, this was no surprise to God when he created Adam and Eve, right? I mean, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, look at what they did. Yeah, I never saw that coming, (laughs) you know? No, he did. It says that Jesus is the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. God knew this was going to happen. But he gave mankind a free will, but knowing they would use their free will wrongly, he's going, I'm going to use it as an opportunity to show my glory. And so what he did is he got the plan in place. He worked his plan. We're just waiting to find the end of the plan eschatology. And we have to trust God will bring it about in his timing. We just have to know some of the markers and obviously keep aware, like watching and praying about the signs, right? When we see a sign, we need to say, aha, we're getting close. This is why Daniel is one of my favorite books because, you know, you look at Daniel and people go, oh, that's a nice story about him being in the lion's den and God shutting the lion's mouth and, you know, that's really cool. And you're going, you're missing, you're missing so so much because the first chapter you have these teenagers from Judah on the Babylonian exile being taken by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon and they're trained in Babylonian culture and all these things but Nebuchadnezzar didn't know what he got in these guys specifically Daniel Daniel is a man to whom God speaks and gives awesome revelations in fact the revelations that Daniel got was about Nebuchadnezzar's whole empire And the empire to follow him, the empire to follow him, the empire to follow him, and the resurrected empire of that last empire that would bring them all the way to the point where God says, enough of the empires, I'm coming in and taking over. Daniel saw from his day to the end of days the transition point into when God's kingdom takes over. And that is so true of the whole Bible, right? It's always right at what it forecasts or prophesies about. It's just always right. And when you talk to people today and you go, well, where are you getting that stuff? Well, I'm getting it from a source that's never been wrong. Right. So what we need to do is set two benchmarks from which I get all my, if you want to call it, eschatology. Why? Because Daniel deals with the entire process that leads up to the eschaton, this end time thing. And Jesus is God. And he tells his disciples clearly, these are signs. And he points back to Daniel and says, and the markers that Daniel gave you are the things you need to pay attention to. So, Here we have out of Jesus' mouth his words of this is when this happens, this is when this happens, and this is when this happens, and these are the things that are going to happen between those markers. That's where I want to take us. So this may take more than a couple of Fridays to go through, but I want us to take our time because it 
needs to be understood clearly. And I think in our day, God is beginning to unseal these things and bring understanding. And we're also seeing events in the world line up with these things. Well, I think what we should do is get a fresh cup of coffee so we can uncover some of those wonderful truths. Make mine a double espresso. This is going to be good. The sky is falling! The sky is falling! What's cooking? They think the sky is falling. This is our chance to scare them out. Do you think end of the world is near? (laughs) All that is going on in the world today, are we living in the end times? Are these the last days? Is the world coming to an end? What does the Bible have to say about this? Truth Barista, you know, we're living in such turbulent times with this coronavirus. What advice would you have for our audience? Well, the first thing, you have to not give in to fear, right? I mean, you listened to a recent Dennis Prager. Yes, and he was saying some wonderful things. Don't waste this time, but contact your friends by phone or by Skype and talk to them and your family. Do things that you haven't done for years. Do things together as a family in your own home, but do something productive and don't it and mope and get depressed by what you hear on the news. So on the negative side, don't give in to fear, right? That means we have to limit our consumption of the news, consumption of social media. Now, we don't want to be uninformed. We want to be informed. But man, talk about Debbie Downers and stay away from the people who are being uber sensational right. about this and just stoking the fires. We don't need this. It is what it is, okay? It's it's like a pandemic, like a flu-type pandemic, although it has different characteristics. But and this is the point I'd like to make to us. Admittedly, and apparently, this has a high infection rate. So if we lower the possibility of infection, we'll have a lower potential for spread, and that will lower the severe number of cases and even deaths and lower the strain on the hospitals so that they can keep pace and give proper care for those who need it. So really, the positive thing is, this is a great opportunity, like you said, to stay at home, stay in the neighborhood. I've seen a lot of people walking their dogs, hanging out with their kids, gardening already, doing some fantastic things. And you know what's the most important thing for us? You gotta stay in the coffee, and you gotta stay in the Word. What a great combination. Thanks for that encouragement, Truth Barista. And don't forget to listen to the past episodes of The Truth Barista. Great thought. Good. Okay, I'm ready to roll. Are you ready to? So, I am. okay. So, in the words of Vince, the worldwide wrestling guy, uh, let's get ready to rumble. Turn to Daniel chapter two. You got it. I'm getting there. Daniel Let me chapter, see here. Two, chapter two. Here, I know it's in here somewhere. Yeah, I see you're using those tabs on the Bible, you cheater. Well, you know, so when you get my age, it's easy to do. Yeah, okay. All right. Daniel chapter 2. You got it. Okay, now I'm going to summarize it. We may hit some things as we go through here. Long story short, 
Nebuchadnezzar has his dream, and he asks his magicians, what does this mean? And his supernatural guys, the occultists, let's just call them occultists. They don't have a clue what it is. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar goes, I want to make sure I get the right interpretation. You tell me what the dream is. And they're going, nobody can do this. You know, you're asking the impossible here. We can't do this. And he goes, well, you either do it or you're all dead. And they're going, ah! Okay. That's quite a motivator. <laughs> well, the word finally gets to Daniel, and Daniel is a fairly young man at this point. And Daniel goes to God and says, God, you know everything that's hidden. Reveal it to me. And all of a sudden, in the night, the whole revelation comes to him. And he says to his keeper, take me to the king. I know what the king's talking about here. Okay, so he looks at the king and he says, verse 27, Daniel answered the king, no wise man, medium, diviner, priest, or astrologer is able to make known to the king the mystery he asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. See, the whole end time thing is about mysteries. Mysteries in a Hebraic thinking or in Jewish thought is that which is hidden, which will be revealed. The mystery of Jesus is, for a time, it was hidden. But there came a point where Jesus was revealed and what he was to do was revealed. So all the sacrifices in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, it was really telling the story about Jesus ultimately, right? Right. The mystery of Jesus is hidden in the sacrifices. Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. What's the mystery he talks about? It's a thing called the rapture. Well, what we've named it the rapture that happens in the end times. In other words, he goes, it's a mystery because we really didn't understand the resurrection of the dead like this. But there's coming a time when we will. So that which is hidden will be revealed. So this is what he says. But, verse 28, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. Okay, so King Nebuchadnezzar's dream is about what's coming in the last days. Your dreams and visions that came into your mind as you lay in bed were these. Your majesty, while you were in your bed, thoughts came to your mind about what will happen in the future. The revealer of mysteries has let you know what will happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have more wisdom than anyone else living. I love Daniel's humility. But in order that the interpretation might be made known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. Now, as I've taught this class in the past, it's really fascinating. Why would the king be thinking about this? Well, it's what kings do. I'm laying in my bed at night going, hmm, I wonder how long my kingdom's going to last. I wonder how long my glory will last. I wonder how I'll be remembered in history. And God goes, oh, I got something for you. And bam, he downloads this dream. So Daniel tells him the dream. I'm just going to summarize it, okay? Okay. Nebuchadnezzar sees a statue in front of him, and it's made of various materials. The top of the statue, the head, is gold. The arms and the chest are silver. The torso, the stomach region, is bronze. The legs are iron, and the feet are iron and clay mixed. Now, while the king is seeing this vision, he says he sees a stone not cut with hands, that's important, come flying out of the sky, hit the feet of the statue, shattering the statue, and then this rock that's sitting here, not cut with hands, suddenly grows into a mountain and fills the earth. Oh my gosh, if you understand Jewish idioms and context, this speaks volumes. And by the way, Daniel now begins to show him what this means. He says, you, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. In other words, there's something about Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom that God says, good job. 
And you find out later it's because I raised you up, Nebuchadnezzar. You can't take credit for any of this. I raised you up, and by the way, I can take you down anytime I want. In fact, God does take down his descendant, Belshazzar, because Belshazzar says, ha, mocks God, and God goes, oh, you think so, huh? And within 24 hours, Babylon falls. This is amazing. Okay, so the head is gold. That's Babylon, the Babylonian Empire. Then Daniel says the silver arms and chest, that's the Medo-Persian Empire. The bronze torso, he says that's going to be the Greeks. And here's where we kind of get, you see, the farther you get in prophecy, the kind of the, the fuzzier the picture is. Okay, the iron legs is an empire that follows the Greeks. Some people think it's the Roman Empire, but recent thought has come out that it might be the Islamic Empire. The reason being is the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, and the Greek Empire covered the same area. The Roman Empire didn't. They were westward into Europe. They just barely touched on that area or got halfway through it. However, the Islamic Empire, when it arose in the 600s, basically covered the same area. So the thought is, and I get this from Joel Richardson in his book, The Islamic Antichrist and Mideast Beast, fascinating books. He says, of course, when God talks about various prophecies, he talks about regions. The Roman Empire didn't match the region, but the Islamic Empire did. So just something to think about. I know you and I kind of disagree on that. That's cool. We'll be cool. We'll still drink coffee together, right? Right, right. Well, (laughs) I hope that you'll bring up later on, and that's why people think it's the Roman Empire, because the feet of the clay and the iron together is a renewal of that particular, of the Whatever that empire is. Whatever that empire is. That's a great point. Just to think this through a little bit, how does that work with the Islamic Empire that you suggest could be another interpretation? Well, as long as we're camped there, I would really point you toward Joel's books, because he does a fascinating job looking at this. But what they say, modern interpretation in evangelical circles is the legs of iron are the Roman Empire split between East and West, okay, and that the Roman Empire died, but it's still kind of under the surface in Europe. But because it says the feet are coming back with iron and clay, the Roman Empire will be revived politically And that's what's going to be the final empire. And if there is an antichrist, he will arise from a Roman empire that's been revived or resurrected. The other side of that, which is really cool, is the Islamic empire rose in the 600s, but it culminated in the Ottoman empire, which died in the early 1900s. Okay, that it was gone. However, I mean, and it's really gone, okay? Now you have a bunch of various Islamic states, Islamic groups and scattered through the Middle East. If there is to be a resurrection of that, there has to be a new caliphate, which is an Islamic empire or kingdom, led by a caliph, which is an Islamic leader, who stands against Jesus. If you look at a revived Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire was actually on Jesus' side, but the Islamic Empire denies Jesus and denies the Father, which matches John's description of the Antichrist spirit, that which denies the Father and the Son. So, what could happen? You have rumblings right now in the Middle East of certain Islamic leaders trying to pull together an Islamic kingdom, an Islamic empire, and pull all the groups together. In fact, ISIS's point was to revive the caliphate which died. In other words, bring the Ottoman Empire, the Islamic Empire back. Erdogan today in Turkey wants to reinstitute the Ottoman Empire. Now, the thing is, and this is really cool, this is 
You asked for this. I know. Well, it's fascinating okay. because it it helps us to kind of process and discern. Okay. It talks about the feet being a mixture. Okay, because it's clay and iron. The word Which doesn't match. I doesn't mean, they, match. It doesn't they, they, hold they together. Go, no, they don't go together. Right, and this is what's fascinating because Joel points out in Aramaic that word mixture is the word spelled out A-R-A-V, and in Hebrew the V can also be a B, but it's an Arav or Arab. And he's going, aha, where did Islam take a foothold? In the Arab culture, in the Arab nations, in the Arab kingdoms. And so his take on this is, aha, the final rebirth, so to speak, of an Islamic empire will be a group of Arab peoples coming together, nations and kingdoms and groups coming together to form this caliphate. But we find out from way back in Abraham's day that Ishmael is actually going to be a fighting man, a warring man. He goes, he'll even be at war with his brothers. That goes way back to Genesis, which tells me that Ishmael's descendants are going to fight amongst themselves. In other words, the prophecy back then is he's a wild donkey of a man, and he just doesn't get tamed very well. So, in a sense, the strength of the Arab people is their fierce independence, but it's also their greatest weakness because not not being able to get along. And we see that over time. The Arab tribes were fighting amongst each other until Muhammad came along and bonded them together under the banner of Allah to keep them as one people moving forward. But there's still been cracks all the way along. And by the way, the uh, the Islamic empire separated into two streams, not geographically like East and West Rome. But theology. But theology and family, Sunni and Shia. So basically what is being said, and I'll complete this long dissertation, saying that if there is a revived Ottoman or Islamic empire, it will be comprised of both Sunni and Shia, but because of its inherent nature of being both strong and fiercely independent, it will also be its weakness, and that is the mixture of iron and clay that causes an inherent weakness, and it will ultimately be destroyed. That I believe, is going to be the manifestation of the end-time kingdom. Wow. I mean, that's just absolutely fascinating. So if you were to take the other point of view, which is the Roman Empire or the revival of the Roman Empire, what would be the clay and the iron in that example? What I have heard is that they're talking about the European states. You have a European Union, but the European Union today is not solid. In fact, you've had Brexit. And Brexit, Britain has pulled away. There's talks about Italy pulling away because of the coronavirus and economic things. So it is a union that's also fragile. So how do I determine this? I'm pretty convinced which it's going to be, but I will let you know when we get there. (laughs) I don't think we've hit the marker yet, but there is a marker that deals with that particular issue. And Daniel talks about it and Jesus talks about it. Okay, so as we get closer to the end of our study together. Let us talk a little bit about where we're headed. Okay, we'll find it in the statue, okay? The statue is a succession of human dominions, actually four major empires with a rebirth of the fourth into a fifth. 
Okay, this rock that comes down, not cut with hands, means it's not human in origin, it's divine in origin, it's God. This rock comes down, it will crush the final empire, and then that rock will grow into a mountain, and idiomatically in Hebrew, a mountain is the mountain of the Lord's kingdom. The mountain of the Lord will raise itself above the mountains of the earth. That's just a way of saying God's kingdom will be the preeminent kingdom on earth. All other manifestations of human rule and reign, states, nations, or whatever, will all be, in a sense, subservient to God's kingdom. And Daniel just drops this at Nebuchadnezzar's feet in there and says, so there. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar's pretty darn impressed. He's going, you know, I just thought this was about me, and I just thought God was just giving me a clue. Daniel told him the process from his day to the point where Jesus returns destroys human dominion on earth and sets up God's kingdom. I mean, he just gave him a panoramic of human history, right? From the earliest times of, of world dominion, of empires. Yeah, he got a panorama of prophecy. Now, the problem is with prophecy is it's like you get a telescope. Now, if I use a telescope, it brings the distant things close up, right? But oftentimes, there may be things in front of it, like other small hills and things or other mountains, that all look like it's crushed together. I have no sense of distance between this hill to the farther off hill to the farther off mountains. I need to turn the perspective sideways, then I can see the time period. So those mountains in between the telescope and the mountain is a marker. The space is where the signs take place. So give us a little tease of where we're headed for next week. Okay, I'm going to walk through with you Daniel chapter 7, and I'm just going to touch on it briefly. Daniel 7, 8, 9, and 12, and we're going to look for the markers. What are the markers that God reveals to Daniel? Then the next one after that, let's look at the markers that Jesus shows plus the signs and how he points back to Daniel, and they link together. And then let's talk about the things we see in the world today and answer the question, are we in those end times? Are we approaching the end times? Have we hit the markers? Are there other markers we need to look for in prophecy that tell us? And there are. So you better be ready to go, buddy. I'm ready. I'm so excited. I can't wait. This is Jay, your Truth Barista. Thanks for listening to the Truth Barista podcast.